Okay. Um, uh, what I started in the last two sections, which has to do with revealing Christ in our ministry. And those of us who were not around, please endeavor to get the previous CDs because it's a continuation. I'm not going to do so much of a summary of the past because even what I have here is a little bit too heavy. I'm going to do a compressing thing like my people use a compressed file. So I'm going to give you a compressed file of what I have this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. You smile just a little bit. Don't be too tense. Eh? Maybe you are spending too much from me. You will just make me not to be able to perform. Just relax. Let's be relaxed. Amen. Okay, I, I want to continue from the section we're talking about revealing Christ or something. But when I was flying back from Kenya two weeks ago or so, I was just meditating on the plane and the Lord gave this to me. Uh, actually, I was thinking about synergy. And I was thinking about uh, one other message, basically what I'm going to be teaching. And this is the one that really came for synergy, this particular scripture. I'm going to start with, it's from the Old Testament. So let's get down to Deuteronomy 23. Deuteronomy 23. Uh, you can as well, um, I'll read from the King James and I'll read from the uh, the amplifier, any of them is fine. But King James, he says, are you there with me? Deuteronomy 23, good. He that is wounded in his stones or had his privy or private member cut off shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Now, if we take it from the Amplifier, it says, He who is wounded in the testicle or has been made a eunuch shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Question is why? Because he cannot reproduce himself. Amen? Meaning, actually... There are several reasons why this law was given. Several reasons. Part of them was for civil privileges in Israel. Part of one of the reasons also they were making a eunuch so that Israel would not intermarry with other tribes and bring in foreign seed. Okay. But when it comes to ministry... It is that he who cannot be fruitful should not enter the congregation to minister. By implication, if you don't have the ability to reproduce yourself, you are not supposed to be in ministry. So we are starting from there. But again, you need to understand as we progress you are not just reproducing yourself. You are reproducing Christ in men. Not you. If there have to be anything anybody will pick from you, it is a Christ, the person you have seen in you, that takes from you. 
Paul says, be ye imitators of me, even as I'm imitator of Christ. So the point is, it has to be Christ in Paul that you imitate. Are we together? It is very, very important. So, I want us to understand this, that the key to our being called, remember what he said, Jesus will not do ministry without calling for the people. And previously I made you to understand that you are not a volunteer. How many of you can remember that? You are not. Volunteers, we always do so for what they want to get. But those who are called, we buy into the vision of the one that called them. Amen? Let's look at something in um, John 12. I will run a little bit fast, like I said, compress file for you. Just give you some keys, you go back home and research. Very important. John 12, verse 22. The Bible says, Philip cometh and tell it, Andrew and Andrew and Philip tell it, Jesus and Jesus as he said unto them, the hour is gone and the Son of Man shall be glorified. Very, very, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abided alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Amen? Okay? Let's get down to mercy. Let's take it from mercy translation. Verse 22, John 12. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew again, Philip together, told Jesus. And Jesus answered, Time is up. The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Listen carefully. Unless a grain of wheat, and I want you to note wheat, is buried in the ground, dead to the wall, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it is buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, everyone who holds one to life, I'm reading verse 25, holds one to life just as it destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you will have it forever, real and eternal. What I want to, what I want to pick here is, note no this first. These people, especially the Greeks, they came and they said they want to see Jesus. Is that all right? And they all came to meet with him, Philip and Andrew, and they said, the Greeks, they're out at the door, they want to see you. The normal thing, like I often say, will have been, tell them I'm a little busy, a little bit busy. Or let them wait for five minutes, or for ten minutes, or for fifteen minutes, I'm coming. But he turned around to say, the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified has come. If you read the whole story there, basically he's talking about his death. It means his death was going to bring forth the glory. But the glory points to the point is he's going to reproduce himself when he dies. Is that all right? So essentially what he was saying is, it is only because I'm still alive that you are asking people to come look for me. But now... 
the honor I'm going to have by going to the cross is anytime someone is looking for me, you're going to show him yourself. Because I'm going to reproduce myself in you. Is that all right? But there's something very vital I want us to pick as well from that. Is the word wheat. Jesus chose a crop to illustrate what he wanted to say. I'm sure it's not going to surprise us. But again, you need to understand that there were three feasts in Israel, basically. Which is the Feast of Passover, the major feast, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, these three feasts were represented by three crops. The Feast of Passover was represented by Bali. The Feast of Pentecost is represented by wheat. The Feast of Tabernacles is represented by grapes. That is when grapes get matured. So we have those three feasts, or those three crops. Barley, wheat, grapes. Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. Are you following it? There is something I want you to see. Basically on the individual level. Passover stands for our experience of coming out of the world just like Israel left Egypt. Is that okay? Pentecost stands for our sanctification by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But above that, it is a place where we can come into union with God in our spirit and begin to hear God. The ultimate goal of Pentecost was not basically the gift. It was that men will hear God for themselves. Because you see, the experience of Pentecost was when the Lord were given. You hear God and the Lord are written in your heart and then you obey God. In the Old Testament, reading from Exodus 19.20, when the Lord was given, the people said, everything you said we will do. Is that okay? And then there was thunder and lightning and earthquake, whatever the case may be, on the mountain where the Lord were given. The essential thing was that they come to the place of obedience. So one of the things that Pentecost really do for you is to bring you to the place of obedience and fulfilling the laws of God. It's not majorly in tongues or signs and wonders. That was not the primary goal. Man is to be brought to the place where he can now obey God. Because Israel could not obey God. Why would they not obey God? Why could they not have obeyed God? It is simply because when God was speaking to them and trying to give them the laws, they said, you talk to Moses and let Moses talk to us. So every information they were going to receive was a second-hand information. Now the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Jesus turned around to say, my sheep hear my voice. It doesn't have to go through a middleman. And I will say it anywhere I go. For us pastors, please get this into your mind. 
This is not taken away from your ministry. But the truth is, everything we are doing now is a temporary thing. There was no prophet between Adam and God before the fall. No apostle. All the titles we are carrying, we are carrying them because there was, um, there is a fall. But there comes in time where the Bible says, All shall know me from the least to the greatest. If everybody has come to know him from the least to the greatest, tell me where your ministry is. And I think this is all the more reason why we don't want people to come to the place where they can hear God for themselves. So that we can continue to bring out the center and bring worship indirectly. Amen. Now we're no longer issue of just being a prophet now, just being a man of God now. It's now Papa. Huh? Papa, Papa. You have three guys, Papa. You have two guys, Papa. May God help us. And somebody once said, that's the highest title. You know that our Papa is above even Pope. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, that's supposed to be the essential thing. And I'm saying, that represents... I'm going to make you see something. So like I said, Tabernacles, Pentecost speaks about the laws of God, our sanctification, our holiness. Tabernacles speaks about the glorification of our physical body. And that is represented by the grapes, harvest, the fullness. Redemption, listen, when the Bible says it is finished, you must understand what is finished. Redemption is not finished. What is finished is the sacrificial system. Jesus ended it on the cross. But redemption is an ongoing process. You can't say you are fully redeemed when you are still dripping with blood. Let me use razor blade to just cut your skin now. One red liquid will come out. That shows you are not yet redeemed. Because your body must be redeemed. Romans 8.23. You can read it if you want. Are you still there with me? Alright. So we have these three harvests. We have barley, we have wheat, and we have grapes. And so every particular harvest is associated with something like I said before. But I want to show you something very important. Um, see, if you remember... The time Moses was to approach Pharaoh to come out of Egypt, it was a time for barley harvest. So we know barley stands for Passover. Is that okay? Now, let me show you something now, which you, you will, I think you will like. You turn with me to the book of Exodus. I mean, 1 Samuel chapter 9. Um... Okay, let's, let's, let's look at just uh, 1 Samuel 12. Give me 1 Samuel 12. Let's look at 1 Samuel 12 verse 17. But take time to read 1 Samuel chapter 9 down to chapter 12, which has to do with the coronation of Saul as a king in Israel. Right? Look at what he said. This is Samuel speaking. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call on the Lord and he shall send thunder and rain that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great. 
which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking you a king. Is this not wheat harvest today? So King Saul was a Pentecostal. Are you following what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> and you see, in the celebration of the wheat harvest, the priests often wave two loaves. One is wheat and the other one is living, as it were. Living was added together with a loaf of bread that was going to be waved. What does that signify to you? Living often represents sin. It means the Pentecostal realm is a mixture of sin and truth. Oh, I don't know which way to put it now. But it's not the perfect realm. I don't know if you're getting this. And this is precisely why Saul failed. Because he was a Pentecostal king. Are you following what I'm saying? Very important. Why am I reading this? Because Jesus said, a corn of wheat. So now, ultimately you find that he was pointing to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which is the day of Pentecost. As I die on the day of Pentecost, more fruit will come forth. You know, Jesus represents everything from Passover to Pentecost to Tabernacles. Are you getting that? As I when he made that statement, Pentecost have not come. Meaning he was the only one standing, but he was coming to the point of saying, I'm going to get all of you to come to partake of my nature as I go to the cross. Don't forget where we're coming from. Deuteronomy 23. A eunuch must not enter what? The congregation. So the first thing you have to have at the back of your mind is just like he said, you are not only going to think about reproducing leaders, you're also going to think about reproducing people for Christ. Is that okay? Hallelujah. So, is in all the time of wheat harvest, so like we said before, we know for sure from the scriptures here that King Saul was a Pentecostal. And Pentecost, sorry to say, is doomed for failure because it's mixed with living. It's not pure. <laughs> Maybe some of us are not like that. And that is why, permit me to say this, you are leaders. Don't you ever, because this, the way we clarify ourselves, are you an orthodox? Are you a Pentecostal? Have you had a statement like that? You are none of those things. You are none of those names. You are a child of God. Is that okay? You are not a Pentecostal. You were not born Pentecostal. So I can use I'm a Pentecostal. What kind of language is that? And we have three major feasts, like I'm saying. Passover, Pentecostal. Whoever said this, say Passover. Have you ever heard anybody say I'm a Passover? <laughs> but you, know, they, you see, they said me I'm Pentecostal because, and they said I'm a Pentecostal, I'm a living church because they speak in tongues and they believe in signs and wonders and miracles. Is that okay? That is why they say that. But okay, even if that be the case, is that the end of the business? There is yet another feast. Called the feast of what? Tabernacles. So why are you limiting yourself to the middle feast? 
So you are not a Pentecostal. You are a child of God, manifesting Pentecostal gift. Can I hear an amen to that? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay, so we find all of that. You can read. Like I said, go read 1 Samuel chapter 9. Um, the time is not there for me. Okay, now you turn to John 15. John 15, uh, and let's look at verse 16. John 15, 16. Jesus said, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, not the word ordination, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should do what? Remain. That whosoever or whatever he shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Okay. The message puts it this way. You didn't choose me. Remember, I choose you and put you in the world to bear fruit. It means, man, if God chose you, you're going to produce fruit. I chose you. Just like he said, he went up to the mountain and chose 12. I chose you and placed you in the world that you may do what? Bear fruit. So expect to bear fruit in your ministry because you are chosen of who? Of God. Except you are a volunteer. And I pray God convert your volunteer zeal into the choice one. Hallelujah. I chose you and put you in the world to bear fruit. Fruit that won't spoil. As fruit bearers, Whatever you ask the Father in relation to me, he gives you. Amen? Now, for you to be a fruit bearer, you have to be attached to the vine. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. So you get this right. If, if this were to be the tree that is supposed to produce fruit, every branch that is attached to this tree will produce the very fruit that this tree was supposed to produce originally. Am I right? So if we are attached to Jesus and truly ministers of Jesus, we can produce all the fruits other than the fruit that Jesus would have produced. So the question is, because I'm going to make you see that, Outside of the personal fruit you bear, which has to do with the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit you truly need to bear, remember what he said before when he kind of wheat fall to the ground and die, bring forth much fruit. He wasn't talking of personal fruit now, he was talking about people becoming exactly like him. Am I right? Good. So the fruit you are supposed to bear, since you are attached to Jesus, we are supposed to be like Jesus. Are you getting what I'm saying here? So the point I'm raising is, how are your people? Those you are ministering to, you should have been teaching or preaching to some people now for the past 10, 15 years. What or how much of Christ is in them? How many Christ-like people have you raised? That is the question. It's not about you. Praise the Lord. I chose you and ordained you 
to put in the world that you may bring forth what? Fruit. And since we are the branches of the vine, the fruit we bear must be from the root that is holding us. Are you still there with me? Friends, listen to me. My mind and my concern is to see the church of Jesus Christ multiply Christ all over the world. You can multiply a denomination. You are not doing ministry in Christ's way. It could be a personal business you're trying to do, but you bring Christ's label on it. But again, <laughs> something good is even happening. How many of you have come to see today that even the holy water we sell, you can find the label of Jesus on it, is our label as on those holy waters? Have you noticed that? You're looking at me. Some of you are selling holy water, aren't you? You don't sell now? Okay, I just attended a conference. I was there. All the bottles, all the labels of the bottle were bearing the minister and the wife image. There was nothing about Christ. Christ is indirectly being excluded and you and your wife being promoted. Have you seen olive oil being sold? Whose labor is on the olive oil? You can see Christ. It has to be the prophet. I mean, does this thing challenge you or not? Do you think about them? Who are you projecting? And what fruit is this olive oil or water producing in the people? No. How many disciples truly have you made for Christ by reason of those things? You didn't choose me, I chose you. If you go back to the previous series, you understand how disciples were chosen in the early time. How many of you remember? But Mr. Bethsefer, is that okay? From the age of whatever to 12, from 12. You understand I taught you that? You go back and study all of that. In Israel, you don't, you see, it's the disciple that looks for a rabbi to choose. They'll come to you and say, I want to be your disciple. And if they can recite the Torah perfectly, you can say, follow me or lick my dust. As they walk the street, just be my disciple. There was no other school. Follow me. And then you do exactly what I'm doing. Just like Maxwell was saying. But when Jesus came, and now, if you can't qualify to have a rabbi, you go and learn your father's business. So people like Peter could not qualify to have a rabbi to follow to the end of being fishermen. But there's no Jewish child who cannot cross the first level from age one, if you will, to age 12. They all must memorize and study the Torah. So they were all educated in that context. But if you can pro progress from there to get a rabbi to be over your head, you end up being the business of your father. So Jesus himself, because he had no rabbi after he left the temple, has to continue with the carpentry business of his father. And so when he came out, what did he do? Instead of waiting for people to come look for him to be their master, he went along looking for the neglect of the society to be his disciple and turn them to be mighty men. The people that the rabbis and the Pharisees rejected are the people he used to become his apostles. 
That means you can raise the people that religious people rejected and make them mighty men for Jesus. And that is exactly what David did. That those who came to him were beggars and poor people. He turned them to become mighty men. That is ministry. Maxwell was saying something. I'm not saying don't go to school. But who was Smith Wigglesworth? Which college did he go to? Which Bible college did he go to? Now, I'm not saying don't go to school. I'm not saying don't go to Bible college. But when you make that a standard outside of the spirit, I think we are deviating. But today, you, you read this about speak, make what's what? You, you buy the book. I know some people said he was carrying olive oil. That's why he's carrying olive oil. Which school did he go to? Hallelujah. Some of you have read about Charles and Francis Hunter. The wife was the one that was called. The man was also, I think, a cobbler too or whatever. Bricklayer, I can't remember purposely where. But he was not in ministry. All he was doing was introduce the wife anytime they are doing meetings. He was the manager of the wife, in case. And one day, as he said, he stayed for the wife to come preach. He was just standing. The spirit told the wife, your husband is preaching today, not you. And the woman stood up and said, you are the one preaching today. And he said, no, but I'm about to introduce you. They said, the spirit said, you are the one preaching. So what am I going to preach? Anything you have to preach, preach. And the man stood up, took the mic and started preaching whatever thing he can preach. Miracles start happening. That's how he came into ministry. Which school did he go to? Raise people in the spirit. Fruits that are Christ-like. We want more Christ all over the place, not just you and I. Hanging ourselves up somebody for people to be worshipping us. What kind of ministry is that? How many Christ have you raised in your church? Let's move on just a little bit because of time. Hallelujah. So I appointed you, I put in the wall. Let me bring forth more fruits. <laughs> of a truth we can understand that the first ministers of the gospel were very successful. Why were they successful? Because Jesus placed them there. There is no way Jesus sent you like he read in the morning. The early section, Mark 3, 18, 14, 15. There is no way Jesus will send you or ordain you and you will bring forth fruit. I was just sharing with one of our participants this morning, good fellow, good brother. Do you know why Jesus walked on, I mean, Peter walked on water? Because Jesus said, come. It was not the issue of faith. It was the command. He created the universe by the word of his mouth. He sustained the universe by the word of his mouth. When he said, let there be light, there was light. When he said, come, something entered into Peter that made him to walk on water. There is no way Jesus will send you and you will fail. The reason we are not successful is because we are using our mind and we are trying to copycat other people's ministry. We want to be like them and not like Jesus. If you know that we are laborers together with him, then you must know that the ministry is not ours, it's his. I was sharing with Pastor Tony this morning. He was so engaged, he couldn't come today. 
came to me in the morning. And I mentioned that in the previous story, I'm sure. Or was it South Africa or Kenya? I can't remember. But notice this. Before we came too puffed up, before we become too big, there is no shepherd in Israel that owned a sheep. The sheep belongs to the owner. Then they have shepherd that takes care of the sheep. Moses owned no sheep, but he was a shepherd. Are you getting what I'm talking about? David was taking care of the sheep of his father, not his own. Saul was looking for the lost asses of his father, not his own. So when you claim that the people in the church belongs to you, you're taking the place of God in their lives. You don't own a sheep. They belong to Jesus. Boy, you're a shepherd. <laughs> Are you still there with me? <laughs> okay, let me leave it there. But I want you to understand that. So that we can be humble a little bit to know that, man, these people belong to God. Though. Are you still there with me? This church, these people, they belong to God. I'm only a servant taking care of them on behalf of. Are you still there with me, somebody? Praise the Lord. Hmm. Let me show you something now. Go to Galatians for me very quickly. You see, the key to success, successful ministry, is to be attached to the vine as a branch. Let him give the word of command. And I bet you things surely will happen. Are you there in Galatians 1? Galatians 1, look at verse 1. We take it from the message. I mean, first of all, if you will, the King James and then the message. Look at that. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Let's just take it from, from the message. Not of men, not by man. It means man can make you an apostle. Men can call you an apostle. But you can only produce for them, not for Christ. <laughs> look, at, look at it. I, Paul, and my companions in faith here send greetings to the Galatian church. My authority for writing to you does not come from any popular vote of the people. Can I hear an amen to that? <laughs> Nor does it come through the appointment of some higher high up there. Not from a university. <laughs> Are you sitting there with me? It comes directly from Jesus the Messiah and God the Father who raised him from the dead. I am God commissioned. Can I hear an amen to that? Listen. Apostleship is not creating a page on Facebook. Somebody will not like me for that. But is there, is there written, I am God commissioned. So, his letter will carry authority because as someone commissioned is working for someone. Let me challenge you a little bit. Can we take the next verse? What's the next verse? Go to the next verse, let me see. But I'll challenge you with this. 
Take time to read 1 Corinthians, okay? Take time to read 1 Corinthians. Okay, I, I like this very verse. Look at this. So I greet you with a great word. Grace and peace. And listen, if you are commissioned, you make this pronouncement, your people will receive it. And he calls them what? Great words. What are the great words? Grace and peace. And Peter will say, peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. True knowledge. True knowledge. Listen, how do we get back to where we came from? That's not part of what I'm dealing with, but damn you said. You just give me Colossians 3, verse 10, very, very fast. Let me read that. Then uh, I show you how Abraham multiplied himself. Galatians 3.10. Uh, okay. Let, take it from the King James. Take it from the King James. Galatians 3. Colossians. Is it Galatians? You're confusing me. Colossians 3, I said. No wonder. Colossians 3.10, King James. Right. Look at it. And I've put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. How do you become Christ-like? True knowledge. Why? How do you fall from being Christ-like? True knowledge. How did you lose power in Eden? You ate of the knowledge of good and evil. How are you going to be restored? You partake of the tree of life. Knowledge. You're becoming a new man. It's through knowledge. What do you teach your people? No, tell me. What do you teach your people? Listen, most of our ministries are centered on emphasizing the same thing the serpent did in the wilderness. I mean in the garden. We are more concerned about the serpent message than the message of Jesus. We promote more of devils, devil's activities, names of devil. I remember somebody gave me a book one time. Man, come and see. Woo! All manner of names or spirits and hi. Even if you have a dream, interpretation of dream, bring all manner. I was just wondering where are they coming from? Asteroid, Achimode. No kind of crazy thing. This book. Where is Christ? You can find Christ in the book. You can see Christ in the book. Written by a minister of Jesus. So who are you ministering for now? You're promoting more of the knowledge of the enemy than the knowledge of God. But the Bible says for you to become Christ-like, for you to come to the place of statue, you must go through what? Knowledge. The problem is always knowledge. Because man fell through knowledge, therefore restoration must be through what? Through knowledge. Hallelujah. So Paul said, I am commissioned by God. And I pray that will also be your testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. And if you are commissioned by God, if God called you, you're going to succeed. 
Why will you not succeed? There is a voice. There is a walk. You see, when God speaks a word, there's an energy that goes with it. Okay, turn with me to Galatians 12. I mean, Genesis 12. Genesis 12. Let me show you of Abraham. Genesis chapter 12. Hallelujah. Look at verse 4. You are going to be fruitful. <laughs> Let me speak like my brethren in the church. 2014, you are going to be fruitful. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> you like that, isn't it? You're going to be fruitful. Don't mind. Don't worry. You're going to be fruitful. <laughs> that could be a reason why this meeting is on. You are going to be fruitful. Amen. Look at Genesis 12. Look at verse 4. Are you there with me? So Abraham departed as the Lord has spoken unto him. Hmm? And Lord went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed out of Haram. Next verse. Abraham took Sarah his wife and Lord his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten on the land that in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan and into the land of Canaan they came. Are you getting that? That means while he was in Haran, he won souls. Are you following what I'm talking about? <laughs> Listen. By implication, he reproduced himself in a people who now believed in him. How many of you know, how many servants the Bible said he had? Are you still there? That he was feeding and taking care of. These are men that believed in him. Leadership is reproducing yourself in the people in Christ. The Bible says he took. None of them come around to say, I'm not going. He didn't take all his substance. He didn't take property. He took the souls that he had won or gotten. He gotten them. It's like saying he begot them right there in Haran. When God called him, after they left the father's house, I came together, he began to win soul into this new order that he found himself. As soon as he left his father's house, as soon as he left all the idol worship, he began to multiply the new order. It's like saying a kingdom started out through him and in him. Are you following that? Don't forget where we are studying or where we started from. The Bible tells us, he have, who had the stones broken should not enter the congregation. In other words, he who cannot reproduce himself should not dream of being in ministry. What is your focus? Is it wealth? Is it money? Listen, you can go into glory and all these things are left behind. Think about it. Are you listening to me? I'm challenging every leader here seated now. You must be engaged in soul winning. And not just making proselyte of people. But I'm talking about reproducing Christ in them. That they might be as Christ, even if you are not there. Look at that. Abraham left 
and everything he took together with the souls that they had gotten in Haram. So Abraham was an evangelist, if you will. <laughs> that means soul winning is not just the responsibility of the evangelist. So no matter your title, apostle, prophet, leader, pastor, father, mother, whatever title you want to carry, the end point is, no, when I use the word father, you have to, because Abraham was called father, father of nations. Is that not, is that not true? The Bible said, Sarah was the mother of us all. Then the both of them got souls. So whatever title you want to call yourself, the end product is, let's see how much Christ has been forming the people under your ministry. Praise the living God. Okay? Now look at Paul. Galatians 4 now. Look at Paul. Look at Paul. Max, if time is up, you let me know. Got so much. Okay, maybe two scriptures and then we can just on break. Galatians 4 verse 9. Look at what it says. 19, please. Sorry. Galatians 4, 19. My little children, in whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you. How many apostles do we have in the house this morning? <laughs> Nobody want to identify now. I'll catch you on Facebook. And I will send you a note. Man, you denied yourself when I asked a question. <laughs> okay, you go to a message translation. Let's read that. I'm trying to make you understand something. The hallmark of an apostolic calling is how much of Christ he can form in the people. Are you there with me? Let's look at it from the message. Do you know how I feel right now? And we feel until Christ's life becomes visible in your lives? It's like a mother in the pain of childbirth. Have you felt that? Have you been disturbed that your people do not have much of Christ in them as a leader? He said, do you know how I feel right now? It's like I'm in a labor pain. And I'm struggling to ensure that Christ is what is formed on your inside. It's not about you. It's about Christ being formed in a people. Hallelujah. Are you getting the language of Paul here? This is the mindset of an apostle. This is the mindset of an apostle. And all of us who shout, I'm apostle, I'm apostle. Let's see how many Christ-like people we have raised in our ministry. <laughs> Are you there? Praise the living God. Let's see how many, how many Christ-like people do we have in our church. Can your church members really walk the street and see a sick person or there is a call and then they pray without getting you a phone call? Have any of your members returned back home one day to give a testimony at the place of work this was happening and I lay hands and somebody recovered? Has anybody given that testimony to you? Why are we not going to suffer on that? Because even if the thing is at Tijabode, they will call us, we will drive there. Yet you have members all over. It must be you and you alone because Christ can never be in any other man but you. We all need to repent. Are you hearing what I'm talking about this morning? 
We must come to the place of understanding that the ultimate goal of being in ministry is to cause Christ to be formed in the people. And not just using that to make a living. Hallelujah. Not just making them to make a living, using them to make a living. No, 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 no. That is not the goal for which you are called. Hallelujah. Let's take this one more scripture. 1 Corinthians 4. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's take this one more, then we'll go and bring it for 10, 15 minutes. And then we'll come back. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14. Are you there? Look at verse 14, down to 15. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. Who is talking? Paul. Now you listen. <laughs> you can only speak to a person in this context and in this kind of language because you bet the person as a son. And what does it mean you betting the person as a son? Causing Christ to be formed in that individual. Are you sitting with me? Okay. Look at the next thing. For though you may have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers? For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Can you say this to your church? As a leader. Can you be bold to make this kind of declaration? As a leader. Listen. And this is where so many of us are missing it. That you love somebody's Facebook page because he's a popular minister. Does it make the man your father? Are you there with me? That you like the charisma of a preacher. Does it make him your spiritual father? That even you tune to his station regularly, doesn't make him your spiritual father. Paul said you may have 10,000 instructors, but not many fathers. Have that man been able to bet Christ in your life? That is a test of fatherhood. Let me read it from the message. I like it more this way. 1 Corinthians 14. Let's look at 14. I'm not writing all this as a neighborhood's code just to make you feel rotten. I'm writing as a father to you, my children. I love you and want you to grow up well, not spoiled. Handa, brase, handa. There are a lot of people around who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong. But there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and effort to help you grow up. It was as Jesus helped me proclaim God's message to you that I become... Is it simple? So, no, 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 you tell me, you tell me. When you like those on Facebook, I'm not saying not like, I'm not saying that. Have they been able to instruct you one day that what you are doing is wrong? They don't know you and you don't know them. How are they your father? 
The definition of fatherhood is the man who can tell you that what you are doing is wrong or right. Do you even have the phone call of those your spiritual fathers? Those one, the internet fathers you have now. Do you have their phone number? <laughs> you don't even have their secretary number. But yet they are your spiritual father. Some people say my spiritual father T.D. Jakes. <laughs> Do you know his house address? <laughs> You're deceiving yourselves, man. Hallelujah. A spiritual father is the one that can tell you what you are doing is wrong or right and helps you grow up. You're growing up into Christ-like. That's spiritual fathering. So many of you, to be honest, you are simply orphans. <laughs> you see, why is it so? You are not accountable to anybody. You are not accountable. Some of you just write letters to people, I want you to be my spiritual father. That's where it ended. You are not accountable. How you roll your child, they don't know. Whether you are doing this right or wrong, they don't know. I want to, ah, oh, my spiritual father is in the U.S. He's in Colorado. Uh, my spiritual father, the one that died last year, my spiritual father, well, he has the biggest church in China. You're just deceiving yourself. This man doesn't even know who you are. You don't even know him. No contact. Spiritual father, not accountable one bit. You have not even written one letter to this man in a year just to give your report. And you say you are a spiritual father? You have one? Where is he? See, spiritual fathers will make you grow up to become Christ-like. Are you sitting there with me? So even as you have become spiritual fathers to many people, try make them become Christ-like. Because I'm preaching to a lot of fathers here now. So many of you are spiritual fathers. <laughs> when you have three people who have attended your service, Papa, okay, no problem. The issue is help them grow up. Hallelujah. Give reports, receive report, correct them. Let them be accountable to you. Don't do fathering on just letter-headed paper. See these people. Know them. Can I hear an amen to that? Man, that is what Christ is calling us. We are revealing Christ through our ministry. It's not we, it's not ourselves. Anybody that comes to us will want the person to become as what? Christ-like. Right in this church, they can tell you. All the team leaders, they take responsibility. All they say, Dad, we want to do this. I say, put it this way. And that's all. That's all. It's, it's not, you see, it's not you to boss people's faith. And no, 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 it can't be so. They are accountable to Christ. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? I'll see you on the flip side. Thank you.